Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Okay, uh, you might like to open up your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, as the case may be. We'll get into this. I was reminded this week of how easily and how quickly I get disconnected. Despite my best efforts, despite the things that I value, despite the things that I want to be, the kind of person that I want to be, how quickly I become uh, disconnected and, and even absent from those who really matter to me. See, I'm reasonably a connected person. Uh, I'm on most of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. I'm even on Snapchat, uh, mainly from a family. So that's about as far as it goes. And a couple of other people, not terribly uh, active on Snapchat. Those three social media platforms are enough for me. Uh, And I've found that over time, how easy it has to become disconnected. And it struck me this week, although it wasn't necessarily on social media, how quickly it was a small device such as this could distract me and disconnect me. Because as I was sitting at home, I was just sitting on the couch at one stage, Andrea had been out, Andrea came home, uh, I had put my, actual put my phone down. And Andrea was telling me about something that had happened in her day, something that she had been thinking about. And without even thinking, just through pure muscle memory, I had picked up my phone, unlocked it, and started playing a game. I know, it's terrible. I know. I thought, what is wrong with me? One of my values, personal values, as well as a church value, is I want to be present to people. You think it would be easy to be present to my wife. It actually got worse than that throughout the week. On Fridays, uh, I have uh, generally worked to have Fridays off um, and uh, have a day of rest and refreshment and relaxation. The day starts sometimes, uh, some t- between sometimes and usually, with taking uh, Lily and Ruby uh, to Cheeky Fox uh, to get a coffee from the best barista in Horsham, uh, my wife. And then we have, a, we have a hot chocolate coffee and hash browns. Um, starts the day well. Full energy for our children. Um, all the healthy food groups. Coffee and fried potato. How can you go wrong? And we, I think we got two serves of hash browns, which gave us four hash browns, which is a bit of an issue when there's only three of us. There was one hash brown left. And I sat there and I looked my kids in the face, two of my kids, and I said, do you want this hash brown? And I offered it to Lily and I offered it to Ruby and I thought they both said no. (laughs) If you had to put me in a court of law, I would have argued that my children said no. I started eating this hash brown and I noticed Ruby started giggling. I thought, what's going on there? You know, sometimes you just go, oh, well... As a parent of teenagers, sometimes the kids have just got this little quirky joke that you've done something stupid as a parent, and you go, yeah, whatever, let them have their moment. I finished the hash brown, and Lily was just about, uh, Ruby was just about on the ground laughing. And I said, what's going on with you? And she said, Dad, I said, yes, I'll have the hash brown. (laughs) What is wrong with me? 
How do I somehow get so disconnected and so disengaged and so absent and not present that I miss these moments, even from the people who I would count as the most important people in my world? I'm not always as fully present as I could be or need to be. In her TED talk, uh, Celeste Headley, in her talk entitled 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation, says, we all know that doing something else, anything else, while someone is trying to have a conversation with us can be infuriating. Think of how you feel when someone is scrolling mindlessly while you try and tell them about your day. But Celeste says it's more than just giving them your attention. She says, be present, be in that moment. Don't think about your argument that you had with your boss. Don't think about what you're going to have for dinner. If you want to get out of the conversation, get out of the conversation. But don't be half in it and half out of it. Be present. Be in that moment. And I suspect that we have all had conversations with people who are distracted or want to tell us something that they know about what we've just said. We've all been uh, frustrated by people who look like they're ready to move on. We've all been frustrated by having a conversation with people. And you sense that they're not really paying attention, that they're looking for the next conversation. Or they want to not necessarily respond out of what's happening for you, but they want to respond out of the knowledge that they have or what they've done or how much more, uh, how much harder their conversation or their week has been. We've all had those conversations. We agree with Celeste Headley. We can identify with being upset and infuriated when people are distracted. So if you're new amongst us today, if this is your first time uh, as part of the Horsham Church of Christ, we do especially want to say welcome to you. If you're reconnecting with the story of Jesus or exploring what the story of Jesus is about, we want to say especially welcome to you. If you're reconnecting with the life of the church and discovering what the church is about again, we want to extend a welcome to you. In the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking our vision which is to be transforming our community in the name of Jesus and the kind of values we want to express in our lives and in our ministries, our values to be present, to be authentic, to be courageous and generous. And today I want to help us see that our presence brings purpose, all right? Presence brings purpose. So if you've you got your Bibles open or switched on, we're going to be reading through Acts chapter 10. If you're in the version live event, that'll all be there so you'll be able to follow it along. So asking today, what does it look like to be present? So we see this text in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 to 16. We see the story of Peter. Now, Peter is a, a man who has uh, grown up in the tradition of the Jewish heritage. He understands the Jewish laws, understands the Jewish sacrifices, the sacrificial system that's been established there by the Jewish tradition. He's a fisherman by trade. Uh, has not really uh, had a lot of other skills behind him. Uh, significantly important, uh, somewhat important, the fishing trade because it's coastal around uh, area that he's a part of. Uh, but he's somewhere along the line, hasn't been able to step into a full disciple of uh, a temple priest. And all of a sudden, this guy, Jesus, invites him to follow him. So Peter, we know through the stories of gospel, is outspoken, he's bold, he's daring, he sometimes speaks before he thinks. He's often 
uh, put back in his place. And this is a part of his story as we begin to unpack uh, the story of the Acts church. So in Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 9 to 16, about noon the following day, so we get an impression that there's other things happening around this story. There's a whole range of things happening. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So Peter has an understanding of law. He has an understanding of uh, purity, uh, cleanliness. He has an understanding of what's able to be eaten and not able to be eaten according to uh, their heritage and their law as a Jewish people. And all of a sudden he's got this vision that invites him to get up and kill and eat. And we, want to, we see here today how Paul's presence brings purpose in three different ways. Firstly, I want to suggest to you today that, um, sorry, I'm saying Paul, it's Peter. Peter is present with God. And we see that in the words that Peter went up to the roof to pray. Now, I don't know if you've got a prayer space up on your roof. Um, this, is, this is obviously a particular environment, particular culture, they have uh, flat-roofed houses, uh, all about temperature and maintaining temperature and guest space up on the roof that's all open, plenty of space for community and family and those th sort of things. We see that Peter goes intentionally at noon to spend time with his God. We don't know why he's called at that time of day. We're not given any other information except that noon that day, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And it's interesting to me that God uses a physical need to bring a spiritual revelation. Peter became hungry. He asked for food. While he's waiting for food, he goes into a trance, which is an interesting kind of conversation to have at another time. Um, and his, the sheet is passed down and he has this vision of being invited to kill animals that he wasn't previously allowed to kill and not only kill but participate in, to eat them. And he argues, this is ridiculous, this is outside of what I have known in the past. See, sometimes a breakthrough will happen when we are not paying attention, but my suspicion is that God would rather work with people who are engaged and who are present with him. People in the education system understand this, don't you? You know people who and students who rock up into your classroom and they're not very engaged. They've had a whole lot of other things happening at home. They've come in out of the yard. They're hot. They're cold. They're not interested. They don't like maths. They don't like English. They don't like science. You would rather they're engaged. And part of the task of the teacher is to engage the students. It's much easier to work with an engaged student. See, there's a difference between being present and actually showing up. So you can show up and be here, but to be engaged and interactive and present is a whole other conversation, isn't it? It's not simply showing up, but it's a willingness to engage with God. In chapter 10, verse 14, Peter actually argues with God, Surely not, Lord, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter argues from his history, 
from his sense of righteousness, from his values. We discover our presence, we discover our purpose when we are willing to be present with God. And sometimes that purpose will take us outside what we have previously known or experienced. See, it's not about being the same. We do need to find the unique way in which God speaks to us. See, sometimes it's really easy to take that story and go, well, I've never had a vision like that. God's never spoken to me like that. No, that's not the point. You might not ever receive a vision like that. My question I think we need to take from this more is are we putting in a position, ourselves in a position where we actually hear from God? And if you don't quite, um, you can go, if you don't quite capture this, uh, think about this. See, it's not about all doing it the same, hearing it the same, but to find the unique way that we hear God speak to us. Peter went to pray at midday. And I can't think of any other time throughout the stories that we're told that Peter went to pray. Certainly through the Gospels, he goes with Jesus to pray with Jesus and he actually fails in that experience because he falls asleep, particularly around the crucifixion. We're actually told that Cornelius, who's not a Jew, who doesn't have um, any Jewish heritage, he's a, a guard, a Roman centurion of the Italian regiment, we're told in the first few verses of Acts chapter 10, um, and he actually goes out at three o'clock in the afternoon to pray, we're told in this story. A time that's identified as a Jewish, uh, sacred Jewish time for the evening sacrifice. So hang on, we've got Peter praying at noon, we've got Cornelius praying at three, we're told in other parts of scripture that Jesus spent all night in prayer or he got up early in the morning to pray. The psalmist tells us, I get up early in the morning to meditate on your word so that I might meditate on it all day and into the evening. Paul writes, I will be praying in all things, in all circumstances. Pray ceaselessly. So what's the model that we're to have? The model is not as important as the intent that we have to put ourselves in the presence of God because there's plenty of models throughout Scripture and we've got to have the capacity to realise and to recognise and to live out of our personalities. So I want to encourage us, find a spot, find a chair, find a place, whether it's up on your roof, whether it's in your lounge room, whether it's in your bedroom, the door shut, at the kitchen table, out in the garden, whatever it might be, what's your place where you discover God's, pre uh, God's purpose for you? Where you put yourself in the presence of God on a regular, consistent basis. Connect with God, engage, seek, question, wrestle, wait, but whatever it looks like, be intentional. Be present with God. Secondly, Peter is present to opportunity. <clears throat> so there is something responding, there's something about responding to what we hear. See, it's one thing to spend time with God and feel all refreshed and get a warm, fuzzy kind of feeling and leave with a sense of satisfaction. I was able to get 10 minutes reading my Bible today. I was able to read the Bible for an hour. Great. What are you being asked to do? What, what's the work that God's doing in you because of that? How's the Spirit speaking to you because you're being intentional in that? Again, it's one thing to show up it's another thing to be engaged. And it's another thing to step into the opportunities before us. In chapter 10, verse 17, 
while Peter was still wondering about the meaning of the vision. In other words, Peter didn't have all the answers. Peter didn't have all the next steps. Peter didn't understand what he was meant to do next. Peter didn't understand the expectations or the outcome of that vision. All he knew at that point was that he had had a vision and there was something stirring. See, I don't know about you, but sometimes I want all the, place, all the steps in place before we take the first step in obedience. See, it's easy to sit and wait. Easy to sit and wait asking for God to reveal it all to us. I don't believe that's how God works. It's really how God works. Not that I want to restrict God to what I imagine, but as I read Scripture, God's always asking people to take this step and then this step and then this step. And we can spend our lives sitting in waiting and expectation, spending time with God and even demanding clarity. And I want to argue with you today that clarity comes one step at a time. Clarity comes one step at a time. See, Peter initially was invited to follow Jesus with no end destination in mind. He was just invited to follow Jesus and that's still the same invitation for you and I. The problem is we all so often want the outcome. Where's the destination? But the invitation is still to follow Jesus. Where we often make it about fitting our schedule, where we often make following Jesus about fitting in with our plans and we just want to get this done first or we need to have that set up or we need to get this established. What is Jesus actually asking you to do? What's the opportunity that's put right before you today? In verse 20 of chapter 10, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So while he was still wondering about the vision, he gets the next instruction. Get up and go downstairs. Go with them and trust God. In James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. We're not saved by our deeds, but we're invited to participate in faith through our deeds. Do you understand the difference? And if you don't, ask someone nearby or come and see me after. We can't work to be saved. Jesus has done all that work. But we are then invited to participate in the grace and the full expression of what God has in store because of what Jesus has revealed. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What are the opportunities that you're being invited into today? Where do we need to get up and trust God? Where do you need to get up and trust God with the next step? believing that he's placed an opportunity before you. 
Finally, if we are present to God, if we are present, sorry, if we're present with God, if we're present to the opportunities, that demands that we are present with others. Cornelius invites others to participate and in so doing he sends a couple of people within his home, within his authority to go and search for Peter. Peter invites those messengers into the house for the evening. They then walk back to Cornelius over the next day or two and by the time Peter arrives at the home of Cornelius, there wasn't just Cornelius, but in fact there was a large gathering of people. I don't know if you understand this or comprehend this and maybe you're not sure about this at this point. God's plan is always for people. God's plan is always for and with people. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Wrap your head around that. You know those people who you think have rejected God or aren't interested in God? God already knows them and is interested in them. And in fact, not even that, not at just that, they already belong to him. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> John chapter 13, verses 34, following a new command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must, sorry, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. See, it's easy, friends, isn't it, to become jaded by how other people respond. And often how other people respond to us becomes how we see ourselves. Our identity can get shaken when we place our value in how others respond to us. But here's the beauty. If we are present with God, our identity is found in him. And when our identity is found in God, we are free to step into the opportunities that we have with others. And therefore, we're also free, as, and they're also free, to accept or reject that opportunity. And you can't force people to accept or reject. All we can do is take the opportunity that we've been given. Because that's what we'll be called to account for, is the opportunities that we take the opportunities that God gave us, the visions that God put before us, the places that God placed us in our universities, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities, in our neighbourhoods. It's always about people. Acts chapter 10 again, verse 28, Peter uh, said to them, so he expresses to them, you know that I can't do this. This is against everything that I have ever known. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me. God has given me a new opportunity. And I choose to step into that. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. He then goes on, opportunities are uh, there for us to reveal the good news and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. While, in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers, the ones who had all the knowledge, all the history, 
were blown away. Astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues. And Peter says in verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. It's always about people and it's always about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That might take a little while to get to. But there's opportunities that create that. Who might we be sharing our life with? That there might be opportunities this year to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. What are the, what are the opportunities that we have to be present with God where he's inviting us to get up, go downstairs and be with people so that we can tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ? It all starts with the presence of God. I received uh, the conclusion to a letter this week that said this. We are weakened when people leave the tent. We are uplifted and strengthened when a member contributes, shares and supports fellow members. This is the essential lifeblood of the organisation carried out by hundreds of members every week. This sounds like a, a reasonable kind of summary for the life and the, the ministry and the hope and the desire of the church, doesn't it? It was from the president of the Australian Institute of Professional Photography. And it strikes me that if the president of the Australian Institute of the Professional Photography gets it, surely we could. Surely the church could. And maybe it's something that you haven't experienced before, but I hope that over this year that we might learn what it is to be present with God so that we're present to opportunities, so that we're present with others as an intentional, deliberate act and lifestyle. Set aside time with God, allow him to pour into us and everything that we do will ripple out from him. The Japan's, uh, Japan's flower tunnel, and I apologise if I murder this, in the Karachi Fuji Garden, Kitakushu. Now, my understanding is that's wisteria. My understanding also is, you know, my vast knowledge of landscaping um, and gardening. Uh, wisteria can grow on its own, yeah? Is that right? Can be a tree? Can it be? Oh, okay, I think I'll make it up. Wisteria can just be a tree and be on its own. But given a framework, how spectacular is that? Wisteria can go off and I'm sure do all sorts of weird and wonderful things on its own, but given a framework given a place and a, and a frame to be able to grow and spread and engage and be connected to create something like that. Spectacular. And so that's what we've done. Last year we created a framework, a small booklet that gives us a framework that can help us understand what it looks like to be present, what it looks like to be authentic, what it looks like to be courageous and generous, not as the final expression of those things, of those values, but as a framework for us to grow, expand, connect and to step into the opportunities that God might be calling us to so that we might be part of transforming our community in the name of Jesus. Friends, presence brings purpose. Be present with God this year in the adventures that he's got in store for you. 
Find a space to spend time with God. And if you don't know where to start in reading the Bible, look up one of the Bible reading plans on version, or start in learning about Jesus. Be present with God. Be present to the opportunity that he brings you. In other words, get up and trust God. When you go to school, get up and trust God. When you go to work, get up and trust God. When you're home with your family, get up and trust God. I had a mate, I was had a conversation with a mate this week who um, has developed a philosophy in the church that they're part of, a new church plant in Melbourne. Um, turn towards your neighbour so that any time they go out the front of their house and their neighbour is out the front, they've made the commitment that they will intentionally and deliberately turn towards them and go and have a conversation with their neighbour. That doesn't sound too hard, does it? Now, some of you might not have neighbours where you just see them down the street. You might think about that a bit differently. But be present to the opportunities and be present with others to love one another so the world will know who Jesus is. I had this question as I was finishing off this morning and preparing for this morning. This question came to mind. What would it look like to be a church, to be the kind of church that no one was expecting us to be? What would it look like for you and I to go about our weeks being the kind of followers of Jesus that no one was expecting us to be? I haven't got an answer. You have. What would it look like to be the kind of church that no one expects us to be? What would it look like to be the kind of followers of Jesus that no one expects us to be? What would it look like to live in such a way because we choose to know our purpose in the presence of our Father? Our example is Jesus who chose to be present to you and present with I even to death, who left the throne room of heaven so that we might know the full extent of God's love. And maybe that's the gift of life that you want to receive today and need to receive today. Maybe you need to recognise your need to follow Jesus, to step into that opportunity, to discover what plans and purposes that God has in store for you. As we sing our closing song, the invitation is there uh, to move forward, to receive prayer, to be anointed with oil, or just to simply pray for your year, to pray in conversations. We'll gather people around you. People will move towards you naturally. Our elders will move towards you. What's the framework that's in your life that will allow you to grow, to step into this adventure that God has in store for you? Mm-hmm.